We're back. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. Mark Sherry, pastoral candidate, three months in a row. Pastoral candidate of, of the, the month. month. Of the month. Three months. Three months in a row. And I am Gary Fox, associate pastor of the month, two months in a row. All right, boys. Glad to be back. Um, you busy cats. You all are staying busy. Work's picked up for you, brother Mark. And Pastor Gary, did you start grad school yet? Start Monday. You start class starts. Yeah. You start Monday. Nice. Um, it's good to just be back with you guys, fellowshipping. I yeah. always enjoy this time. And I know that our listeners have missed us. Um, the dozens. Yeah. And dozens. Yeah. All of them. So uh, you went to... Uh, wrestling thing with Cincinnati, uh, yeah. yeah, Calvin last week. Right? I told yeah. Calvin for years. It took him like three years, three and a half years to get his black belt. And the whole time, I, I was telling him, I said, once you get your black belt, Daddy will take you to wrestling, like to get real good seats and make a big deal about it. So then, of course, he got it. But then, because of the Rona, everything was shut down. You know what I mean? So we were finally able to fulfill that promise and hmm. took him to Cincinnati for a couple of days and hung out and. Uh, we were in floor seats, man. I, I was as close to John Moxley as I am to you, man. He was Who? right there. You don't you know John I've, Moxley? I've I never just heard of him. Get, I, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the pictures look good. Um, I watched it for like 20 minutes trying to find you guys. Um, I, I told you, though, on the phone, I, I said that I was turned around because the camera is normally like for like WWE entrance is your left. Yeah. So they move left to right. But this one, camera's on the other side. So I was like confused. I'm like, the heck is going on? And I know it shouldn't be that confusing, right? You just flip around. But like when you watch, like I watched WWE growing up. Right. My mind could not figure right. that out. It's almost like, like how football is. You know what I mean, like you just follow a certain way. Yeah. Well, because what happened, the the camera angle. So like they'll, they'll get you close up. So then that's where I'm looking for you. But I'm looking at the wrong right wrong direction. We were like, so like, you know how like in wrestling now there's a ramp that comes down to the ring? We were we were on the other side of the ring, You're so we were looking the at them as they came in, right. which was cool. You know what I mean? To be able to see them come down. So we awesome. we went as a kid. It was fifth grade graduation present, and they came to Huntington, uh, West Virginia, and my parents got me seats right against the ramp. So oh, I got to smack hands man. and stuff. And as a as a kid, that was like the sweetest thing. Uh, John Cena and all them like coming down. You don't realize how big these guys are. When I was. At, I was just out of high school. It was the Massive. summer I had graduated. My buddy was like, dude, Raw is going to be in Pittsburgh, blah, blah, blah. So we just, as soon as I got off work, man, we just took off for Pitt, Pitt, Pittsburgh. After um, after Raw, they would do a taping, what's called a taping for their one of their sh- kind of syndicated shows. So there'd be more wrestling. And a lot of people left. And so we were able to get down right to the ramp. And it happened to be on this taping, The Undertaker wrestled right so we didn't know that and when he came out first of all that's it eerie. is eerie that's got to be so because eerie. the sound of that don't the bell that would ring when he would come out and then to see how big that man is with and of course hit all in his undertaker outfit i mean it was intimidating he is a legit six seven six eight behemoth yeah Boy, i saw kane under Really? Um, yeah, he's so, another one. So the Kane one was um, when him and Edge were trading off on Lita. Remember, like, she had just, she was dating Edge, and you know what I'm talking about? That's a way of putting it. They were trading off, okay? <laughs> well, like, yeah, you know She was cheating on him. Yeah. So they were che- they were trading off. <laughs> they were trading off. Is this going to stay on the... 
Like that's that's common knowledge. Yeah. They, they all talk about it. Right. Have, not storyline, like behind the scenes that was happening. Right. Yeah. So anyways, so that was going on and as a kid, like I remember like, oh, this is gonna go down. So <laughs> what happened, Kane ended up in in um the ring and Edge, it was probably pre-recorded because he didn't end up coming out. Wait a minute, Kane was not having an affair with her in real life. Matt Hardy was, and Edge. No, no, Matt Hardy was with her. I'm and talking, Edge was cheating on. I'm talking about the storyline. You guys talking about soap opera or wrestling? It's, Both. <laughs> this is why I quit watching. It's real me. This is Gary's Gary's drama. Everybody's got some kind of drama show they watch. What's yours, by the way? I don't watch drama shit. How dare you? Uh, whatever whatever Rose tells him. Occasionally, occasionally I'm subject to the... Dude, uh, no, let's not talk about yeah. it. Don't you guys watch Survivor? Uh, no, thankfully. She's moved on from that. She's done with that. Under worse things. Yeah. Um, anyways, no, there's a storyline. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not okay. talking about an actual affair. Uh, I didn't know about that. I was a kid, so I was out of like actual... Matt Hardy was with her and Edge stole her. And they were trading. In real life. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. That that explains the eye you gave me. Maybe we should like, clip this. I was like, well, that's kind of, I thought you were saying Matt Hardy. No, no, no. I know, I know Kane was involved in the storyline, but it, the real story was... Yeah, so anyways, Kane ends up in the ring and like is like, wants him, like wants to fight him. And Edge is like, yeah, I'm here at the Holiday Inn with your girl. And they have him up on the screen and it's like a big deal. And he's Kane's Remember his dad. nickname when he called himself Edge? I can't remember. The Rated R Superstar. The Rated R Superstar. Yeah, that was that segment was too much. Now, I will say, though, that wrestling has went back to what's called PG. That era was called the Attitude Era, and it was, board, it was PG-13 or almost Rated R. And so, like, I quit watching wrestling about that time to Calvin got a little bit older, and I started watching the, to see if it was a, I had heard it had gotten appropriate or more appropriate. And it is more yeah, they, than it used to be. Yeah, it, it got bad for a little while. Um, I've actually been watching like old clips from like when I was a kid, like Goldberg and all of them oh, again. Yeah. And anyways, some of those scenes pop back up. I'm like, man, I forgot about that. Like as a kid, like how how bad that is. Anyways, you guys uh, ever want to see something? Watch Goldberg do this. Do the uh, the uh, jackhammer. What's called the jackhammer uh, to the giant. That is a feat of strength. Because the Giant's about seven feet tall, five hundred pounds, and Goldberg got him up. Who's like the that. Giant? Khalid. Big. He became oh, Big the Show. Big show. Oh, Back then, it's it. called the Giant. Yeah, no, I've seen that one. Yeah. That was impressive. Was Stone Cold Steve Austin there? At, I've seen him before, but you not. tell us. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there, no. so I don't think so. Yeah, where were you, Mark? Where you aware about? I was busy. I was at another, another wrestling match. Yeah. We don't do Halloween, yeah. but if we did, you should dress up like uh, I w- I would Stone Cold. Get, and I'll put John 316 on the Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, I got a question for you guys. And I want to keep this, um, keep it brief, um, but I also want to keep it uh, uh, sensitive in and, and the sense, you know, we've got some people who may be vaccinated, may feel the need to be vaccinated, or whatever it might be. But I've got a, a very practical question, and so I want to keep everything, like our tones and, and whatnot in check, because it's, it's a very trying time, I think, especially with, you know, folks who are facing mandates at their jobs. Yeah. So I just, for me, and, and I want people to hear me, like, where I'm coming from, I've got a question. This mRNA technology, um, whatever, hate it, love it, doesn't matter. If it protects you and it's about you and, and strengthening your body, um then what is the point of mandating for everybody? Now, this may, may be like a professional on the other side of this, like pro-mandate, 
um, could explain it to me, maybe explain it really well. Maybe I'm missing something, but like, are you all at least following on that with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cause, cause like it, it literally is teaching your body to have a response, um, against viruses in your body and not just COVID like it, what it, should, it yeah, what, like it should be helping, um, against things. I've, that's the one thing that's been confusing to me. And I didn't know if you all read something uh, differently or like at least what the other side's thought process is behind it. I, Other than like, oh, just want to end it. Very conflicting so, like arguments. Sure. Like there, there's more, it's like you hear one thing than you hear another. Okay. So that's part of the problem. I, I read an uh, argument for it the other day and I tried to give it the benefit of the, of the doubt and it didn't end up making any sense. Um, if they're protected, then why does the other person who doesn't want to get it have to be protected? I, I, I couldn't track with the logic, so I don't have a good answer from the I think I know mandated side. Because this actually goes before COVID, like, and it has to do with herd immunity. So the argument is that the argument is that in order to eradicate it, you need to have you need to stop having hosts, and so. So it's only a, I don't know. I've never understood this argument for herd immunity, because on the one hand, it's like if you're you're either you're either immune to it because of the vaccine or you're not. But they almost make it seem like if there's other people walking around that are carriers, it makes it um, on average less effective mm-hmm. in the population. So instead of it being like ninety eight percent effective. If half and half are vaccinated, then it's actually 85% effective. But if like if everybody is a if everybody is uh, vaccinated, then on average, it, like it raises the average effectiveness of the vaccine. Okay. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, it does. I don't know. I've never had that. That's what I've been. This goes way back to like wait. Like they've talked about vax mandates way before. Before COVID, right. yeah, yeah, like their their liberals have talked about vaccinating everybody for all kinds of stuff for a long time now. Like it's always been a fringe thing, and yeah, big debate too. So like if you talk about it with people, so yeah, it has. So that I think is what initially what the argument is, but now it, it's getting to the point where it's like when they first rolled this thing out, it's like if you get the shot, you're protected. They've changed the. The goalpost again, which has been the biggest problem. They wonder why we don't trust "quote unquote" the science, is because it seems like every other week it's a different story. Now it's not you're really protected. It said it'll keep you from going to the hospital. Basically, it'll keep it from killing you, but you can still get it, um, and you can still be hospitalized. And now you can so, still be so, hospitalized. So yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so I, now it's getting to the point like why even do the, why even do it? I know that you two like are readers, and maybe I was missing something, but. I mean, that, that, that was just a concern for me. But, again, for our listeners... The other our, argument is that if you've got a pandemic of the unvaccinated, it still puts a huge strain on the health system, you know, because you're going to overwhelm all the hospitals, which has been the threat that they've had since this thing first happened. And even when there was no vaccine, hospitals were not overwhelmed. Um, you know we're approaching 60% of the population vaccinated in the United States? That's vaccinated. How many people have had it and already have the natural right. immunity? Like... My, my, my point being, um, and again, I don't know if it's changed, but they said if we reach 70% vaccinated, that would be effective. So I don't know if they've gone back on it. We're, we're getting close. I, I think Assuming the reached, vaccine is effective. That's what's right. the question now. Well, well, they admit it's not 
I mean, they themselves oh, it's not 100%. admit it's not as effective as it should be because it's affecting people. Like what they who, said, yeah, the breakthrough yeah. cases are way higher yeah. than well, they said it would even, be. Even Israel, I mean, they're on their fourth vaccination, you know, in addition to, you know, the booster. Um, so people are, they're scrambling, they're right. realizing, all right, we need to make improvements. Right. Yeah. So anyways, and, and I'll end with this. Our disposition's been, if, if you get the vaccine, if you feel compelled, you need to go get it by all means, uh, you know, get it. If you've got health concerns, whatever. So this isn't, I, I just, I wanted to talk to you guys about this for a minute, but I also don't want listeners to think like, don't get it. Um, we're just, we're just talking through some things and, and trying to understand a mandate and whatnot. Um, on a positive note, the Browns played this past Sunday, and other than the fourth quarter, losing is never a positive anything. Oh, it was positive. Aren't those two words synonymous, Browns and losing? They haven't won a home opener. They're not a home opener because that implies being a home. But they haven't won their first game of the season since 04. A season opener. A season opener since 04. Yeah. 04. You know who they beat? Baltimore. Yeah, they beat them good, mm-hmm. like twenty-one to three. I remember that game. Yeah, who was the quarterback? Uh, hold on, who was the quarterback then? In 04? Four would have been. I don't know uh, who the quarterback is now. I don't remember. <clears throat> Jeff Garcia. No. Mm, was it? It says 04-05. He was the starting quarterback in 2004. He had a pretty good year that year, I remember. Starters per season. Um, <laughs> you got to scroll. Oh, man, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. I thought... So, our three quarterbacks... So, if it's 03-04 season, I don't know how to read these... 03 was Kelly Holcomb That's and Tim Couch. Um, Holcomb. Holcomb, yeah, was the starter. I bet it was Holcomb. Because I don't, yeah, I, yeah. It was and then 2004, our three quarterbacks were Jeff Garcia, Luke McCown, and Kelly Holcomb um, at that point. But I think Jeff Garcia would have been your starter. Um, and then the next year. Maybe not. Is he may, I, three think, I, think, I think Garcia relieved. Holcomb. Like, I bet Holcomb won that first game. So why are you not happy about that game, though? You lost, dude. It's. No. You know who we lost to? Don't care. <laughs> You're a loser. Just like Mitt Romney. Loser. I don't watch sports. Don't look at me. I watch yeah, Why don't you watch? Yeah, so when I grew up in Europe, it was soccer. And it was more the idea of engaging in the activity rather than being a spectator. So I'll, I'll play a game of football, but I will not watch one. And Rose is the same way. Like so she is, game of football. she is very grateful that I am not into sports, although I do enjoy MMA and boxing, although MMA has developed, uh, had some recent developments, which I don't appreciate. Um, With the you hear about that? The yeah, the, the transgender woman who, uh, or the, the man uh, as a transgender woman beat up another woman, you know. Yeah, I, that'd be illegal. Beat, beat her bad. And, not only allowed, not and she's allowed. And bra- she's brave for doing it. I, I guess. So... I think they when you say MMA, that. you're speaking generically because yeah, well, there's lots of different. Um, it may not. Have, I don't think it was you. It, it was no, it no. It, it could. But I think not only should that not be allowed. that man should be arrested. Like I don't think that should be legal. Yeah. Well, when when that when that man when 
in a hundred years when that man's bones are recovered, yeah, they're not they'll, they'll look and say, oh, this was a man. man. I mean, at the end of the day, that's how they are. This that's was a real. furry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anyway. Help us. The litter box in the, in the ring. What are we talking about today, Pastor uh-huh. Gary? Well, I thought it would be a good idea that we talk about what is a Christian family. When we use that term, we say it, and we assume, you know, certain things. What, what are we assuming? What is, what is implied by a Christian family as opposed to the way the world does family and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, first off, who ordained the family? Yeah. God. God. That was the, that was the first. The first. The uh, government? Yeah. The government came later, after the fall, uh, which continues to remain in that state. Uh, but yeah, God instituted even before the, the church, the family. It's it's interesting that First Peter uh, deals with, you know, those three topics of uh, the family, the government, and the church, uh, pretty pretty frequently as a theme, as uh, each of them a theme within First Peter. Yep. Yeah. And so before there was even like if you consider the Old Testament uh, saints, the church. I don't I don't really do that, but. However you want to describe well, them, before, before the people of God, before the people of God, there was a family. That's why, like, if Buddhists move, you know, or become Christians, a Buddhist uh, couple, they don't have to get remarried in a Christian church because the, that, that right. covenant preceded the establishment of, of the people of God. Yeah, so let's let's start there. Let's start with marriage. Um, I think that's a good place to be. Like starting out at the very beginning, man and woman is what we believe. Um, do you believe that any man and woman needs to be remarried? Uh, Pastor Mark, you first. Say what? What do you a mean? A man and woman. It's say there. Will there ever be an instance where a man and woman need to be remarried, given that they don't get divorced? No. Yeah. I right. can't, unless you can think of something. I can't. And, and I think that, you know, like we've talked about this with some folks from the church, um, you know, going to weddings and like, oh, it wasn't a Christian you wedding. You mean where the ceremony wasn't valid. And it's oh, like, it's yeah, so like, yeah, thank you. That That's the best way to say it. Like, is there uh, a ceremony where it's not valid between a man and a woman? Yes. I, yes. A man and a woman, what? Polygamous. Oh, but okay. that's not a all man right. and a woman. No, but their marriages are all individual. Yeah. They right. don't, he doesn't marry, the man doesn't marry three women at once. They each have their own ceremony, so I would t- I would say the other two. Okay, yeah, all right. You might have. Fair enough. Yeah, you might have. Yeah, you found the one. Uh, <laughs> you found, <laughs> you you found the answer pretty quickly. All right, so. we're not talking about polygamy. Um, Although, time out. Here we go. I had missionaries, and I can't say I disagree with them. From Africa, said that when they would go over there, if there was a convert, and a man has had six wives for twenty five years and is taking care of them, you know, and, and the family responsibilities. They said that they run up to, what do we tell this guy now? you got to remember, they, did, they don't have social welfare. They don't have nothing. Do we tell them to divorce these women, to put them aside? What do we tell them? That's a podcast. Of yeah, I know. Yeah. He said, and this is an IMB missionary before they went woke. This is like way 20 years ago. He said, we tell that man, love your wives. We look at his sons, and they say, you get one. You know, like they, they, they because of the the reality of the situation that he's had these wives and he's not treating them as concubines he is caring for them you know he's, so he's, he's financially providing he's, he's financially he, providing he for the them bed, and he the, shares the bed with one 
He's sharing them with he's all six because he's got so would, kids with all of them. But they so I, would, I would I would disagree with that point. But which one? I, I, which, sharing the bed with all of them. Yeah, I, same time. Well, I'm not. No, he, no, he's, he's saying the missionary said that he oh, should no, only no, have I, one. I know, and I'd, I'd I'd have to probably disagree with that point. Oh, so you're saying he needs to remain I, I married say, to all of them? I would say he needs to financially support all of them, um, for at least some period of time. And and then figure something out over time. I've never come across that situation, so it's not something our culture deals yeah, with. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's a tough one. It's not an easy <laughs> one at all because of the reality of what what is going on there. Like yeah. there is, those women would right. be destitute. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, sure. So sure. these are financially providing. Yes. And now I didn't ask him if he was saying share the bed with all of them, but he he said what we tell him is love your wives. Just like it's an Old Testament situation, but going forward, you young people, you marry one, and you can't be an elder. <laughs> and you can't right, exactly. Right. You can't be an elder in the church, husband and one wife, and that's how they treat it. Almost like this guy was an Old Testament guy who got who's now post Pentecost. That, that is okay. So let me ask you guys: uh, Old Testament. Uh, I have some friends who believe that polygamy is a good thing in and of itself, and it's. Uh, you know, it, the only disqualifier is for elders. But uh, what was God's disposition towards polygamy in the Old Testament? I don't think he's for it. I think it happened. So, like, people look at that things like that that happen and think that God's okay with it. And, like, I think it shows that, that we're depraved. Uh, we live in a fallen world, but God still uses broken, sinful men. Um, Solomon, for instance. Like, right. yeah, like, I don't... I could be wrong. Like maybe you all like tell me, like explain to me culturally and scripturally, like most importantly scripturally. But yeah, like I don't think it was okay. Like it wasn't permissible. Um, but I think God used that those situations. The is that there are times in the Old Testament where they're described as blessed because yeah. of this. God gave them. God to gave David. Yes. Why did you go do this? Because I gave you wives. Yes. So it's a tough question. It's very. It's not. Because the easy thing to get yourself out of trouble is to immediately just say, no, 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 no. Because that's the common, um, you know, that's just kind of like what we just assume. But it's it's not cut and dry with, in the Old Testament in particular, what was, um, for sure, see, uh, th- those were, those the, were- the biggest thing here is to understand, like, if you think of this simply in sexual terms... So this guy has six women that he's sleeping with, and that, that, that's about the extent of it. Then God was certainly opposed to that kind of thing. What we're talking about, though, is wives, where he was taking them on and honoring them as wives, treating them as wives, and their children and so forth were his children, and he was caring for them. And so it wasn't as um, salacious of a situation. And again, when you're dealing with economics of things, it was, it, there was a, in their mind, they did not look at it like how we, as like sensational as we think of it is now. Like it was a blessing to the women. It was a, they were happy. Everyone was happy, happy, happy. There wasn't a, um, it just didn't have this scandalous connotation. Because it was cultural. And, and I, I would see those as descriptive rather than prescriptive. Just because something happened doesn't mean God designed it to be that way. Jesus right. is very clear that God designed marriage between one man and one woman. So I, I'd be on the opposite side of my friends who are advocates of poly- polygamy 
and say that it's it's wrong in every case. Um, and do you agree with the Old Testament? I do. Yeah. And David. Hundred percent. So did the Lord give him his wives? Yes. So explain how does that work? So within the culture, within the context, it was viewed as a blessing. And but was it? Uh, no, I don't. I don't believe so. Not so the Lord did not give him those wives. What, the, the, so there's there's a couple passages. One and there's more. That David's one example, but there's no, others. No, no, no. There's there's a couple passages that talk about God like giving them these blessings. Mm-hmm. So you which know, included the wives. Which include well, yeah, specifically. Did I not give you these wives? Um, but I think that you can look at the rest of Scripture and see that those those gifts were in the cultural context of yeah, it was a blessing of sorts. But it was still sin. I don't know how to reconcile those two. I just know that the the that the core of what Scripture teaches to me it's not is a man and a woman. I feel like it's just not as cut and dry because there are so, those passages. That so if you, if you were to say that, then you would have to say that a man can have multiple wives or vice versa today, because there's no there's no change in the law in the blessing. Right, I mean, you'd, you'd you'd really have to say that it's okay today. I would have to. I well, would what about Deuteronomy? I would say. Um, I want to be careful here because I I don't know exactly yeah, how Naomi might be listening. No, actually, we are, we, <laughs> she's asked me these questions and she's been reading the Bible and that kind of thing. So my friend over in Africa, that kind of thing. I don't know if it is a sin. Um, in every case over there, if a man takes wives, the key is wives. The key is wives, not sex slaves, not concubines. But that goes to what I was going to say, Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall king. for the king. Yeah, yes. but like, was David not a king? That's a good point. Was yeah. Solomon not a king? Yeah, I mean, it, it, all all it brought was did it say many wives? It says wives. Oh. Yeah, many wives. Many wives. So maybe so David too many. Just, not too many. Just well, Solomon had what six hundred, seven hundred concubines, three hundred wives, no, or you, the other you, way around. Yeah, you got it backwards. It was I've got it. It was three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, three hundred concubines, seven hundred wives. Man, what a what, what a, a busy cha- man. what a challenge that would be. I don't know. <laughs> with, with the one that uh, at some point with that, that's almost just got to be ceremonial. So, like I mean, what the heck? Okay, so so man, this is this is kind of impractical to our culture around polygamy. That was kind of a you know, a common question. Um, so per- purpose, you know, today, as far as what the the Christian family looks like, here's here's a common scenario. So First uh, Corinthians talks about the unbelieving, you know, either wife or husband. So is a family considered Christian if one is a believer and one is not? And the children are, let's just say, mixed, both believing and unbelieving. That's a no. Is the, so is the unbelieving one... Um, if you is the unbelieving one like hostile no, to the no not in this case then I, I would say that they could function as a Christian family function it depends on what you mean by yeah. Christian it depends on what you right. mean by function right but yes there are so there there are principles that define that, that identify now obviously there's major problems <clears throat> with that with that but they could function that way they could function according to the principles of, of a Christian family yeah yep so I think Mormons, for example, modern Mormons, not polygamous Mormons, but like can, can do that functionally with the way that they set up the husband, the wife, the children, and so forth. 
They That's I, I wouldn't say they'd function as Christians because Mormonism is not. You'd function more as a religious family. Yeah, right? religious. A cri- That's what I mean by okay. So yeah, okay, so we need to define terms. Right. Okay. So maybe, yeah. No, you go ahead. Well, I would say maybe, maybe we say a godly family. So what? So let's talk about what. If you don't mind, if I take this direction, what does a godly family look like from a structural perspective? So today, in this fallen world, how does that look? God, like Christian God. Christian, okay. Yes. Regenerate, professing Christian family. Yes. Godly, born again. What's the structure? I mean, yeah, the structure is obviously... Starts with marriage. Starts with marriage, which uh, I, I want to finish off that thought real quick. The importance here is between man and woman, we don't see between man and woman, one man, one woman, and not your second woman, like second woman at the same time, right? Not a multiple wife. It's not a, an addition. We see that as a valid marriage. Now, we have to see that as important because that's God-instituted. Right. It's almost like um, you can glorify God in your marriage and you cannot glorify God in your marriage, but it's still sanctioned by God. Now, I think that's really important for, for a lot of people to understand because God's instituted it. That's why we see it as important for we are upholding what God has established when you know the government tells us what marriage is or isn't. Um, and I think people need to hear that too, because even you could be in a sinful marriage, right? Uh, b- marrying a non-believer, it's still valid. It was right. just sinful. Yeah, um, right. But absolutely, you know, you're supposed to at that point you've given like you've sinned. Now you pray for your spouse, um, and there's a lot to get into with that. But yeah, you establish that. So now let's talk about the Christian family. What does that structure look like? Um, two believing um, uh, people, a man and a woman. Um, before kids, uh, that structure would look like um, the man is, is leading the woman um, in the Word of God. Uh, he's sacrificing um, his life for her, uh, being one flesh, just as Christ sacrificed himself for the church. Um, and men, that's a huge responsibility. Um, had a premarital counseling uh, session uh, this past week and just talked about that truth and, and how it doesn't uh, mean that the woman uh, can sin and get away with whatever, just like the church can't. Um, but you are to sacrifice yourself. That, guys, that's a huge weight uh, to bear. Yeah. I mean, you think about like the responsibility there. Uh, it's huge. Anyways, so the man's leading the woman in the word of God, um, praying for her regularly, um, praying Wash, with washing her, her in the word. Uh, washing her in the word. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that it yeah. talks about there too. I love is, that you know, purifying her. Just you know. Uh, so I'd start with that if you want to go around the table and, and keep going. So obviously the man leading uh, the wife, that's not domineering. Right. Um, I think we need to understand that too. But it is leading, um, and it's actively leading. So uh, men, you come home from a, a 60, 70, 80-hour work week, you still got work to do. Right. So it's a big responsibility. Right. What, what, yeah. what would say the, the next thing in the structure? It's recognizing that, that, you know, that the husband is the head, as Christ is head of the church. Hmm. That the wife, this is a huge distinction between Christianity and Islam. Where in Islam, the woman is forced into subjugation. She has to wear a hijab. She's forced to do this. If she does not, he is free to smack her about the face. To get With a small stick. With a small stick. The size of his thumb, according to the law. Yes, according to the Quran. Yes. So. Seriously. Yeah, you can beat her along the face as long as you're not... You're, you're explaining truth. 
Like that. That's actually what that, they believe. Yes, hundred uh, percent. I want people to like know, like you're not getting yeah, a joke no, if they no, don't. That's, not Islam with teaches that you can you can hit your woman with a stick the width of your thumb. Yes. If she gets out of order, and that could so she has she is forced into submission, and if she does not submit, you are free and probably should, according to their view. Discipline her physically right. to make yeah. her to Cor- corporate break her. just like a child. Basically. Yes, Christianity teaches nothing like that. There's a command by God to the wife: wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That is 100% her responsibility. You follow my logic here. You see where I'm going. Not a he, command for the husband. He does not look at the husband and say, "Husbands, make your wives submit." Yeah. That's a huge ethical difference. So, God establishes this covenant. He describes between the man and the woman. The man is the head. The wife is the submit. And both are to recognize that as a role and to and to and to embrace it and to love it for what it is. So I think that would be the next step is to be re- is to recognize that wives you have a responsibility as well, husbands as laid out in the scriptures. Laid out in the scriptures, right? <clears throat> Submit to your husband. Okay, that's on you. Like even if he's not a great husband, even if he's not fulfilling his part. And husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. Even if she's not being submissive, we all have our responsibilities. But we got to understand that that's there and it's upon us. So husbands have to embrace their role. And there's a lot of cowardly men who allow their wife to run the house. And he needs to stop that, right? He needs to recognize I'm being weak and I'm a coward. I need to be the man of this house, the husband of this woman. I need to be the head of this home. And then the wife, her responsibility is to recognize God has commanded me to submit to his leadership. And let, let's be clear on the the man needs to run the house. So right. the well, woman, head of the, the woman, yes, right, he's right. head of the home because you, like C.S. Lewis points out, you cannot have two heads in a relationship. No, it's a they're just gonna butt. You have to have someone submit, right? I have, we well, yeah, have all the jobs, right? Jesus Christ is right. the head, right? And we submit to him. But we, there's there's structures in everything in life with every relationship. It, you know, at work, if I think I'm the head and I go to my boss with that, that's not gonna work. I'm gonna lose my job. I have to submit and even defer if the to boss my boss's is not direction. Really a even great if they're, boss. they're all, and it's in the Lord. Submit to your husband's in the Lord. So th- this is not if your husband is asking you to do something sinful against God's real will, you do not do that. Just like if the government tells us to do something sinful, we have we have the the you, you know command to. to defy that. Just like the wife has to defy the husband who's telling her to do something sinful. Right. Spheres of authority. Um, but as far, yeah, spheres of authority. But, but as far as, you know, yes. the household, the woman does run the house in a sense. Yes. I mean, she, she is to be the keeper at home. She's to be, Proverbs 31, highly productive, industrious. So there, there's a, I think there are some misconceptions, particularly uh, in some cultures like the IFB, the Independent Fundamental, where, or even in Ukraine, when I grew up, the women, they would wear head coverings, and that's fine, but they would come in, they wouldn't say a word. Right. And the husbands would gesture, okay, good, you're, you're good to go, and they would go away. That's, I, don't, I don't know that that's scriptural. That's no. more so cultural. The, the, the man is to respect and love the woman. Right. Um, 
and he needs to listen to her. Which is why we and mentioned not domineering. He's yeah, right. yes, with her. Exactly. So, so, so many women, they just have this knee-jerk reaction to right. this concept of submit. It's such a dirty word. And it's not. So it's a beautiful thing. We all submit. Also, I wish we had a lady. I have to submit to my elders. Right. Let me and it's paint not, this picture as well. Because you mentioned work. Or if you're dealing with the military. You have to submit to your superior, if you want to use yeah. that word. They use that word. I'm not using it. But you have to, or people start dying. So it would be better to obey the orders you know, of somebody who may not be the most competent guy in order just to maintain unity and to keep the troops moving in the same direction. Because if everyone just starts doing their own thing, the enemy is going to see that chaos and is going to, swipe, is going to swarm in and kill everybody. Yeah. So... Part of the, the way that you have to view the, the, the marriage and then, and then the family is the family has a purpose and a mission. You're going somewhere. You're to develop into something, right? When you think of it in this in these terms, it is more than just, I got to live somewhere, so I'm going to live with Wally over here. That it's more It's way more than that. This family has a calling upon it. This family has a mission to accomplish. And when you think of it in those terms, and then you add in the husband is to be the head of this mission. He's the head of this, that you, in every structure that's on a mission, you have to have these kind of structures. I hope that helps. That helps in my mind to think about as the head of the home, we're supposed to be going somewhere. Yeah. We're on a journey together as a family. And it doesn't mean the wife is mousy, and I mean they, no. they need to, they need to speak their piece. She is to be and, his helpmate. Yeah, and, In other and, words, <laughs> she's to be helping him lead. On the, on that point, we have something called servant leadership. In Christianity today, and the way it's presented is effeminate. Um, yes. And and by the way, you come to my house, my wife, she you know she decorated the entire house. She. She takes care of it. She sets the direction of many things, and uh, I'll disagree on certain points. And then if it's if it's of any substance, she she will defer. Just like at times I defer to her. So it's not this, it's not this. Um, I, I don't know how to describe, it, but it's not what you're thinking of necessarily. Now there is submission, true, and sometimes painful submission involved. Uh, but today in servant leadership, the man is like the helper. Yes. The church presents the man as, well, you're your wife's helper. God made you for her, so you're going to serve her. That's not how God no. intended it from the beginning. He in, he made Adam first and then Eve out of him. And she was made as his helper because there wasn't anybody else to be there with him. Right. And so a, as a man, uh, you got to get that right. Because if you let your wife, if you're your wife's helper, you're in disobedience. Something's wrong. Yeah, and then husbands, if you're domineering, if you're ruling in a harsh-handed right. way, you're wrong. Right. And and that needs to be corrected. But nothing will inspire her more than the man of the home being ambitious for the family and where we're going. She wants to, by God's design, she wants to follow you. Yes. I don't care where she was raised how she was raised, I'm telling you, you can't beat this out of human nature. This is the what they want their Wanna husband. And if he's not, if he's the mousy one, yep. or has nothing to say, and has no input into nothing, she'll do it mm -hmm. and, yep. and resent you the whole time. Yep. Buddy, so 
this is this is not we're not talking Chinese arithmetic here. God made this, and when we start operating this way, and it may take some adjustment and faith, especially on the ladies' part, because your culture is lying to you and telling you not to do this. Uh, and that's why so many women, I believe, are on so many like antidepressants and anxiety meds and are so wound up because they're being told, you be the man. And that's not the way God designed this. This is God's design. The key is the man has to be engaged and following God. Bingo. And when, he's, and when yeah. she sees that, he's following God and leading the family, She will. it will be a burden taken off of her and she will... Begin. It's not always overnight, but she will begin to trust him and begin to follow, and it will be it will become more cohesive. So, Wait, men, your leadership at the home starts with your following and submission to the time. Lord. So, like, you need to be a man of prayer. You need to be a, a man of the word. You yes. need to be um, a man of God. I mean, just just following um, God, and and we understand these structures to, to even be played out in the Trinity. I mean, yeah, we do. We in see Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. You know, not my will, but Your will. Uh, so, I mean, you you see that, and then, like that's what's led like a lot of heretics to like oh, Jesus wasn't God. Then it's like that's not the case. Like this is the picture we get that. Um, uh, what's the scripture in First Corinthians eleven? Eleven, where it talks about. Um, shoot. God is the head of Christ, or uh, man is the head of woman, or yeah, Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You get that that order there. So uh, it, it's really good, and it teaches us that. Um, but what Pastor Gary just said is, is so true. So um, when we're talking about this, you've got to understand, like we're talking about men need to be leading, not just leading, right? Like a, a lot of people That's can can lead. It's godly leadership. Because if his leadership is like all about his career and we got to have a big house and we got to have all this and all this, other, it's not following God. Then now all of a sudden, she's this is not inspiring anything out of her to, to be submissive to this. Well, and there, there's several uh, facets of leadership. So I've when I've done premarital counseling, I've I've mentioned a few, and I said you need to be uh, physically prepared. To, to take care of your wife. Yeah. You know, physically, if there's an intruder, you need to have a plan. Even if and, you're crippled, even, pull out a yeah, gun. you know, you need to be willing to jump Do in front something. of a bullet for her. Yeah. Um, then you, you need to be her. mentally, you know, prepared. You have to have your mind in order and know how to hold a, a good relationship. Uh, and then you need to be emo- uh, spiritually prepared and then financially prepared enough to take care of her. So right. in our culture, you know, it's... it's uh, you know the the breadwinner is kind of fought over well and and the man it, it's i think the man should want to be the breadwinner even yes. even if it doesn't work out that way he should strive to provide for his wife Here's and give deal. her the opportunity she needs to know even if she's if she's bringing in more income than him right she needs to know that if something bad happens he's, he's going to figure this out that's right it should not be on her the burden, no the, matter the, what. The moment her income her. stops, you, you you get a second, third you, job. Third job, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. she needs to like not doubt that. Yes. Like she should not look over at Mark and go, if I if I if something if I get laid off here because I don't take the shot, we're screwed. We're going to go to the Haven of Rest because Mark he won't know what to do. Right. That that God forbid that ever come out of Rose's mouth because that's not on her. No right. matter how much money she's making. So 
that's not really the issue. It needs to be who does the buck stop with in this family? Who's going to make sure that this family is provided for? And when something goes wrong, there there is... Okay, so this is also under servant leadership. I've heard things like when something goes wrong, you can look at the man. That that goes true... To, to a degree of responsibility. So anything that happens is my, in my house, if, if something happens and it's not my fault, yes, I am responsible, but it is not my fault. Right. And that's something else I've seen with this whole servant leadership thing is like, it's always the man. The man is always a wrong. And he's or the problem. Or she's in sin. All that is. It's is, because of him. Yeah, it's third wave feminism. That That's not true. There are plenty of godly men whose wives have gone rogue and it's their fault, and the man is not to blame. Does he? Does he share? Uh, bears responsibility. Some, yes, he bears responsibility, but he doesn't bear fault in that instance. Right. right. So I think. But yeah, responsibility is important because Christ doesn't bear fault for our sin. Yes. But he he takes our sin. That's, That's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so Christ didn't just impute his righteousness to us; he took on our sin. So. That's perfect. Um, to, to keep this going, because there's a lot there, if you've got questions about marriage, man and woman, uh, leading the home and what that structure looks like, send those questions in, uh, newhilloh.com slash ask, and we can get to them. Um, also, the, the other dynamic here, so like that, that's where we start, right? Because you get married, um, a lot of times you're not starting out with kids, sometimes you do. Um, but Bible says, be fruitful, multiply. So then you're not just leading your wife. Um, you all are, are training up your children. So this is where it gets into like the Christian home, right? So you've got two right. believing parents. Proverbs 22.6, well-known. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, but then the responsibility of the Christian child, Colossians 3.20 and several other passages talk about um, obedience. So Colossians 3.20 specifically says, Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Um, so we are to also teach our children, not just um, their ABCs, right? But we are to, to teach them the word of God, to train them in it. Um, and a lot of times we hate the idea of like catechisms. And some of you may come from a Catholic background where it's like that was just beat into you. Um, but remember, there's some good in that because you've not forgotten. Um, you've not forgotten a lot of those answers. The sun, like even in Sunday school, you've not forgotten that because you were trained. Now in the home, like this is this is where it should be happening. So it's like right. our church is teaching you memorization verses, or are the parents teaching like memorization? Whose job is to make sure your kids understand the Bible? The the parents. Right. It's not Sunday school school. Right. Not the church. There can help. You know because I benefit. And they are to help. I benefit from other teachers. Right. Michael is not my only Bible teacher. I benefit from other teachers. Well, my kids well, that's good. are going to benefit from other <laughs> teachers, right? I want Pastor Simon to teach them some things, and I want Krissa, and I want Aubrey, and I want all those voices, right? I think that's good. But I have to, it's ultimately, I'm the one who should be doing the primary. Like, that's if that's job. all they're getting, right. they're not getting near enough. Well, and, and practically, if, if you only ever hear, uh, as a child, the Word of God at church, then you don't know what a Christian home looks like. No, you don't. So, th- have so then, when little Billy grows up, and he marries his wife. He's going to rely on the church, right? Um, and he's not going to study it on his own. And he's not doing his job, right? So, so like that is important. So, like when when we set up and when we structure and when we think about the children's classes at at New Hill, we are aiming to assist you, right? So, like I hope that no one takes it for granted what we do with the Bigs class. Like I don't think we're all stars with this, but our goal. Um, and, and writing a lesson for the bigs that goes along with the sermon is so that they're learning the same thing as the parents 
and they can begin having those gospel conversations at home. Our so dream would be assisting. like when you're driving home after church, you can, as one of the parents, you can look at one of the bigs and say, what did you guys learn? And then you just heard it preached, and then on the way home or on the way through McDonald's or whatever you're doing, you're having a conversation right then, naturally, because it's both fresh in your minds. And then through the week, you can reinforce it because you both have heard the same the same issue. That's why we're doing that, folks. Yeah. And here's a good measurement for your kids. Just ask your kids some basic questions. Ask them basic Bible questions. There are plenty of questions that my kids don't know the answers to. And that's okay. It's not like if you come up and ask them a catechism question they don't know, you're not teaching them right. But it just shows you there's room for improvement. So from, from toddlers, I indoctrinated my kids with something like a combination between the Westminster Confession and the New City Catechism. And they knew about 15 answers that most adults didn't know the answers to. And guess what? They forgot over time. So now I have to go back and redo that and revise it. They'll so remember it though when you refresh it, when you go through oh, it. Oh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be muscle it's memory. It'll somewhere start in there. Over. Yep. Or if they hear it 25 years from now in church, way back here, they, they, I was like, okay, I remember that word. I remember hearing that term or I remember hearing that concept because it's, it's implanted into them. Now there comes a point where they're going to have to receive that truth personally right yeah. you can't save them you can't make them believe this stuff but you need to make sure they understand if they reject it at least they know what they're rejecting at least they understood and it wasn't any confusion because my dad didn't really teach me anything he took me to church but didn't really teach me anything and don't be shocked when they ask questions like what if jesus isn't real yeah like because look all Calvin of us, asked me that the all, other day what, same with same ago. with abby and every listen we all have asked those questions what if god really isn't real what if what if the scriptures aren't and really at that inspired? age how old is Abby? nine so yeah calvin's 10. ten yeah at that age they never thought that before no. calvin when he asked me that it was like he was almost afraid to ask me yeah because he thought he was gonna get in trouble either that or he didn't know what i was gonna say because it's like it's like dawning on him for the very first time what it means if Jesus isn't real. Right. And they'll Whoa. Be, and like they'll, you talk about, you know, the you know that emoji with your head blowing off. Like it's hitting him. Like this is so important. And and so you need how do you answer that? How do you know? They'll, they'll continue. Yeah. <laughs> they'll continue to ask the same questions repeatedly and just say, hey, you know, that's a great question. I've wondered that myself. Right. And then you, you gauge them where they're at yeah. in their understanding. The kids will push you in your Oh, learning. man, they'll make you uncut. Yeah. Because, like, wait they'll until expose. they ask you something like, well, like, Daddy, the Muslims, like, they think they're right. Like, does God, like, going to send them to hell too? Because, like, they think they're right. How do you answer that? You have to, by the way, you have to answer that question. If your kid asks you a question, if you don't know how to answer right away, say, that's a good question, I'm going I'm to figure out how to answer this for you, and then you go figure it out. Don't let them just let that marinate in their head. And and if you if you are the one believer, let's say you're in a, a believer-unbeliever marriage. Now, you could have married a professing believer, and maybe they apostatized. Who, who knows? Right. Or, or maybe they just backslid, and they have no interest in the things of God. You, as the Christian parent, need to take responsibility for your kids because yes. they will be influenced by someone, and you better be the one that influences them. And then, you know, if you are that unbeliever, just love your spouse. And if you can't win them with the word, win them without a word. 
because that's that's First Peter three. If you cannot win them by preaching the gospel to them, right. win win them by uh, living out the implications of the gospel before them, mm-hmm. and that'll take hold of them. In many cases, it has. Now here's practical. So we're talking about teach, 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 teach. Baptists, force of reform Baptists. We we're always heavy on teach, teach, teach. But what about the influence of the world in your home? How do you how do you do we just, you know, it's almost going to seem like a silly question, but like, do you let just anything go on? Do you let them watch everything they want to watch? Are you, like, as a parent, how do you, what do you allow to come into your home and how do you decide this cartoon's okay, this one's not? What, like, what responsibility do we have? Because I can look back, like, when I was a teenager, things had been, things are different now. I think that parents today have a more of a clue than my parents did. Honest to God, I think we were running around pretty wild. And my parents, and it wasn't just my parents, like all my friends, everybody, like our parents, and I'm talking about at church, really didn't know what we were doing or what we were listening to or what we were watching. Um, and so as a parent now, I want to I want to be involved in that. I want to know what they're watching. But how, what's a Christian parent, how do you navigate that stuff with what you allow come into your house and what you don't? Well, I mean, a practical step and it might just be like the quick answer for really any of this is is watch with your kids like I think a lot of times it's like send them away and then like when there's things that so uh, for instance our sending pastor um, Will Basham uh, I remember what was it was it the uh, one uh, what's the Beauty and the Beast oh Beauty and the Beast Yeah, <laughs> that's the name of. What's it. that movie called? Well, Pinocchio. Well, do you remember they had um, one of the characters they they made yeah. a homosexual. Yeah. So a lot of Christians were like, you know, Pastor Will, can we like take our kids to watch that? And he did a blog. I'm taking my kid and I'm telling her what's wrong. So like, it was a movie and they did a little twist and he explained to her scripturally like why that part's wrong. And I think like you can do that now. Like there's an instance like you don't sit down and watch porn and like explain to yourself why it's wrong. Right. But. Like, I do think, like, there's some discernment in figuring out, like, what's right or wrong. And what may be right for, for your house doesn't mean it's wrong for the other house. Like, as far as, like, what shows. Like, there's different... Like, uh, Pastor Mark and I, for instance, talked about how we enjoy uh, horror movies. Um, but that doesn't mean that someone who's been a part of an occult can sit down and watch it because they may be tempted. So I'm saying all that to say, like... It, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but, like, if it's teaching sin, if it's overbearing, if the message is built on sin, it probably is not wise to do it. Um, there's some things where it's, like, a, a heavy no. Um, well, yeah, about we're glorifying sin. Yeah. But sometimes, like, I, I maybe I am more strict. I, I don't know. But, like, even if, like, for example, on the cartoon or the show, if the parents are, are, are depicted, especially the dad... Is an idiot, okay? Yeah. And the kids are really the smart ones. We're not watching that. It undermines everything. It doesn't. I'm it doesn't want his kids to get smart. And like, yeah. Yeah. Right. We're, right. We're Homer. He's an idiot. And you know. And so. Pretty much every co- cartoon for kids. But very. I, we don't watch many of the new ones. A lot. I show my kids a lot of the old school ones. But I believe that things like the cartoons that they watch, the music, all of that stuff. You can use those things to build certain or, or emphasize certain principles. And then on the converse side of it, there are things that the world is into that may not be a gay character, maybe some overt like that. 
but they are undermining the worldview right. that you're trying to raise your children in. So you need to be, number one, understand what is the biblical worldview for the family, which is the point of this podcast, but then also be aware of what the show is, what's the premise of the show, and is this, am I teaching my kid one thing, and then literally get, having to be entertained by something that's, that's, that's mocking everything I just taught this kid? Right. And then it's like, you know, what's true and what's not. Yeah. I mean, I think the engaging part, like actually like sitting down and like talking about it, like if you're going to stop watching the show, like it's not, you just can't watch that. It's explaining like why we don't watch it. And even, um, I wanted to to give an example, like just with, um, talking about teaching your kids too, like not just with shows, um, you guys can come back to shows or whatever entertainment for the kids, uh, as we wrap up here. But uh, I'll give credit to, to Nelson and Melissa. Um, Nelson's our worship leader, one of our deacons, and um, his family is really good at engaging with the kids. And one of the things I heard them talk about was, and especially for, I think, us theology nerds, we have to hear this too, is like, if you're talking to your kid about a piece of scripture, ask them what stood out to them and draw on that. Like, you don't have to get like super deep all the time and like get get to like um, the five points of Calvinism with your kids like right away. Like. If something yeah. stood out to them in Ephesians one, like draw that out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's that's interesting. That and and he they do that really well. He and Melissa and it stood out to me because I've got a five year old and a one almost two year old now. So it's like they're not like there's certain th- things that their head's gonna wrap around. So I'm gonna build on that instead of like forcing like what I had in mind. Because like, they're asking questions over here and we're answering questions they're not answering. So, yeah. So there are big things you need to be dropping on them. Right. But. It, yeah, no, I think that's good because if yeah, if, if there's something that they're wanting to understand better, and they're asking you about it, start there. Start talking about whatever's on their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so at Bob Jones, which is where I went to college, we had some some individuals uh, from like the purity culture where they wouldn't even let their kids watch Disney movies. And look, I, I'm not saying like, that's at all. that's like, that's bad, none of right? Them. And then also like any show. No matter how pure it was, if it had rock music in it, that right. was immediately wrong. Right. Now, I, I'm not going to say don't do that necessarily, but what I have noticed is a lot of kids who are wound very tightly and protected in a bubble that yeah. that is totally unexposed to reality, they get out in the world and they're two times the sons of Satan when they're out there because right. they just come unglued. And so what I do with my they kids, if we're, if we're watching right. some kind of kid show... And they use a, a, a word that my kids are not allowed to use. Oh, Dad, they use. It. I said, yeah. so you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this at school. You're going right. to hear it with your friends. You're. I can't protect you. For, I said, just don't you use this word. Right. And so having that moment where they're not like, I don't know if it's. I, I think they have this like fear of, you know, they either want to be the the uh, pet, the class pet. And oh right. look, they did this, right. or they want to be the, the rebel, but somewhere in between, where they can they expect this, and then they know how to react to it from that biblical worldview. Right, I, I think that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. You know how to be in the world but not of the world. Final thoughts? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I was thinking about this on the way over here that uh, every marriage, every parenting is very problematic. So when you look around and you see these perfect little families. And you think they're better? I guarantee you, they have they have more problems than you can possibly imagine. Right. Deep ingrained problems in the marriage and in parenting, and it's not just you know surface level stuff. It is sins rooted in the heart, selfishness, lying, 
deceit, you you, you name it. And and so yeah, don't think, don't, don't yes. elevate other marriages right. above your own. Oh, I'll never be like them. Yes. I get some of the people that I thought were the most solid are the most not solid. Right. And so or ultimately, yeah. In general, more yes. of this is a marriage. Like I've seen and, that a thousand times. I've gotten old enough now to where I now I'm seeing families raise their kids and now their kids are in their twenties. I, there's one in particular now just because I just kind of found out about this but this family I, like 10 years ago I mean the, it was almost like they had like I think they had five or six girls one, one boy or whatever little boy and uh, like perfect like angels like the most polite godly little people all of them were wonderful and now one of the, the old I don't know if she's older or second oldest one of the older ones is now a lesbian bonkers went off the deep end now, did the parents cause that? No. What I'm learning, though, is they were not the perfect family. Those kids are not perfect kids. And if you look at those people and think, like, well, my kids act up or my kids and I'm not, don't buy into that. And the same thing with the marriage thing. People will let you see what they want you to exactly. see. Yeah, it's a Facebook photo on a beach. Yeah. Like, and then they're fighting. They fought the whole morning before, and before afterwards. the picture. Yeah. Yeah, and then and we've all done that. Yeah, everybody. And then the other thing is, make sure. Every look, time. you are not gonna find your satisfaction, your true satisfaction, in your spouse or in your children, right? What one day, um, your your kids are gonna grow up, and you'll have an empty nest syndrome. Uh, you know, something might happen with your spouse. They're gonna let you down. So make sure, like. Gosh, every single guy, oh, if I could just get married. And yeah. then every married guy's like, oh, if I could just be single. Oh, right? just single. It's, it's an issue of contentment. To, to have a truly right. godly home, you have to be satisfied in the Lord and say, no matter what, he is my satisfaction. No matter what my spouse does, no matter what my kids do, if they don't appear the way I want them. I want them to appear. And then also when they're not appearing that way, when they're wronging you, love them in spite of that. Just because God loved you in spite of your sin. And I think that's, I think that's really the way to maintain a healthy, godly, balanced family is to his glory being right. satisfied in him alone. Yep. Good final word. That's good. All right, church, we hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have any questions, you can go to newhilloh.com slash ask. And send in your questions and we will answer them uh, promptly and uh, just help you to grow in your faith. All right, church, go and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded. Provide to the needs of others and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Boom. Godspeed.